Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Join Justin Townsend and the Harvesting Nature crew as they explore the world of cooking wild fish and game while sharing recipes, tips, tricks, and lessons learned from their pursuit of wild food. We sure hope you ate before the show, because you're going to leave hungry. This is the Wild Fish and Game Podcast. All right, looks like we're all recording. Hey everybody, welcome back to Harvesting Nature's Wild Fishing Game Podcast. You got your host here, Justin Townsend, and uh, today it, it's a bit of a combination of a crew chat and a guest chat, which is like all over the place with this episode, because we've got Katie with us, who is a uh, field staff writer, and we've got Adam, who's our managing editor, who you know well from other podcasts and shows, and we're going to talk about some fun stuff, uh, but first we'll get a little bit of uh, shop talk out of the way, so um, our... Let's see. Episode we released last would have been uh, would have been the episode on the front shoulder that Adam and I did. Uh, was pretty excited to get that one out. Um, it's the first time we've done the cooking by cut, so curious to see what you think of it. So please uh, give us some feedback. Uh, Instagram, Facebook, email, whatever. Uh, you can reach us at what's cooking at harvestingnature.com. But let us know how you like that episode. Uh, we're really curious. We're going to push through uh, next week after this episode. You will get to hear an episode on the flat iron steak, uh, which we'll talk a little bit about. Um, same, same process. So butcher, culinary history, uh, anatomy, uh, combo. I don't know, meat composition, all those things. So uh, definitely lots there to talk about. Um, and then, of course, recipes and cooking and eating because those are all very valuable things. But uh, pretty excited to push through this series. And then, as I mentioned, too, like episodes like today. But um, so whew, let's see. Big news for me. So I mentioned last episode, and I'll go ahead and hit on it again. This episode is that we've got uh, – 
an event here local in Denver with uh, the Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. We'll be hosting a trivia night over at uh, Lowry Beer Garden uh, on the 21st of July. We will include some links to sign up in the show notes if you're local to Denver. Uh, excited to get out and interact with everybody in that. Uh, we don't always get the opportunity to interact with people in person and in a very frequent basis just because we're spread out all over the country but i think this will be fun so it should be myself uh ricky will be there as well ricky has been on the podcast before she's an excellent wild game chef also one of our field staff writers she's going to be there actually leading the trivia and i'm going to be there just standing around drinking beer looking cool because that's what i do best um but no it'll be fun uh, we'll do some cool prizes and things like that, but check that out. Links uh, to sign up are in the show notes. Um, please join us. And then outside of that, uh, headed up for this is the week preceding Fourth of July, so I'm heading to Southern California to go visit my mother, uh, who lives up in the mountains, and uh, I'm going to go visit her and do some fishing uh, and some hiking. And I don't know California's got this like open rabbit season that's year round, so there may or may not be some rabbit hunting in there. We'll see. Uh, I also get super skeptical about hunting rabbits in warm weather, but um, we'll see. TBD. More to follow on that. But I'll kick it over to Adam. Adam, you got any updates for us? Uh, not too much. I've been fishing, doing some bass fishing um, lately, which has been like our season just opens in mid June, so it's nice to get out doing that again. And I've been. Uh, doing as much summer foraging as I've been able to do lately. So been finding some new, new things to harvest and, and taste, which has been cool, like milkweed. Uh, so walking the dog today and came across a huge service berry tree. Um, that could and, have gone, that could have gone a number of different directions. You said I was walking the dog today and I came across a huge, and it could have been <laughs> anything. Yeah. In this case, <laughs> In this case, it was a, a service spray tree, and uh, one of the branches had actually been pulled down in a storm, so it was uh, just in perfect picking position right in front of me, and it was just chock full of berries, and the birds hadn't gotten to them yet, so I have a huge basket of service berries, which is pretty rare for me, so I've been, I was pretty happy with that today. What, so, what, are, what are service berries? I'm not familiar. So service berries, uh, they're Google. spread all across Canada. I'm sure most of the states, the northern states anyways as well. But there's uh, they're kind of like a blueberry. They're also called Saskatoon berries or June berries, shadbush berries. Um, they're kind of like a big blueberry that grows on a tree, and they have a taste kind of similar to blueberries and cherries, and maybe a little bit of almond or something in them. Sugar plum or wild plum? Do you do you guys have them out there, Katie? Do you know? No, I've never heard of them, but they sound fantastic. I would like to eat some of them. Most people out here um, call them. A lot of people call them Saskatoon berries, and they make uh, pies out of them. But I think it I'll, looks like uh, a blueberry, but like purplish, pinkish colored, and on a tree, not a bush. Yeah, pretty similar to blueberries. Hmm. You sold me with like blueberry, cherry, almond. That's like a perfect combo. I'd yeah, like to try that. Oh, I guess they have them in Minnesota. That makes sense. They have everything in Minnesota. That seems to be the. The foragers' <laughs> paradise. There, <laughs> it's like we're all different places, like big confluence of different regions of foraging. It seems. Oh, and a lot of places they're planted as ornamentals because they have beautiful snowy white flowers. And that's why they're called a shad bush because the trees are some of the first to bloom, and it's when the shad runs are going happening. So they picked up a, an oh. interesting name. Yeah. That's super cool. The more you know. Yeah, the more you know. 
Um, when they have a really cool name that I can't. Emile Lancher. Maybe that's their Latin name or something. No, Latin names have two parts. But okay. Either way, no, that sounds really awesome. So, what else uh, did you find uh, on your walk or summer? Or? I've been doing. I've been doing. Um harvesting milkweed and been trying out um some interesting things like burdock stem and and thistle um been trying to branch out a little bit into into new things um i have this uh kind of cool little thing in the backyard i have like a basswood tree growing and basswood leaves are edible so they also are prone to coppice growth so they get a bunch of suckers growing at the bottom of the tree and so i have this basswood tree with all this coppice growth full of leaves um, and the deer come in and eat it all the time. So then it just keeps continually growing new, fresh leaves, like young, tender leaves. So I just have mm-hmm. a constant crop of basswood, like nice, tender, young basswood leaves I can harvest, which is, which is what pretty is, cool. So what does a basswood leaf taste like? Um, I don't know, like a basswood leaf. <laughs> it's, it's not too much to it. It's kind of like a, you know, you like have grape leaves that you would stuff like a lot of the, um, Lebanese and Greek like, people have like the, like dolmas, yeah, dolmas, yeah. Uh, you can do something like that with them, um, but uh, I actually made a tempura, like a Japanese tempura dish, and I and I added them as part of the tempura, so they were like um, fried, hmm. yeah, better and fried. They were really nice. That's awesome. That's a great idea. I love that. Yeah, I was thinking like tea leaves, but that's why tempura, I was too. Like, yeah. I was thinking like wilted spinach just because I think a lot of like greens are just like automatically I'm like, all right, I'll wilt them and eat them. Like we had a storm with some bacon. Yep. (laughs) Yep. We did dandelion. What was it? Uh, Roasted yellow beets, roasted daikon radish, dandelion greens and goat cheese in like this just delicious. Oh, it was so good. Wow. um, You guys are amazing. I don't belong on this podcast. I'm, yeah. No, that's not, not true. You I've seen so, your food. You so creative. I've yeah, seen your food. <laughs> um, well, since we're here, uh, so I'll introduce Katie. So Katie's an Oregon-based food writer, recipe developer, and outdoor enthusiast. She enjoys encouraging her readers on how to respectfully forage and harvest seasonally available food, create nature-inspired recipes, and have a great time doing it. The meals she creates for her husband and three children come from constant adventure. I really like that part. Uh, and teaching her little ones some of life's most valuable skills and living their lives as a family to the absolute fullest. So, Katie Wiley, welcome to the Wild Fishing Game Podcast. Thank you for having me on. This is fun. It's uh, it's already started off great. That's why I like, uh, I like having Adam on because he's just full of uh, food uh, – Food inspiration, full of food. (laughs) Yes, dude. Never a hungry moment. Yeah, I mean, we've been talking for like five minutes, and I already feel like I need a notebook down here to jot down some recipe ideas for Adam. Well, I mean the uh, the motto is you have to eat before the show, even for the listeners, because you'll end up hungry by the end of the show, which is good. Nobody told me that, so I haven't eaten yet. I'm starving, but I have I have a whole bunch of salalberry bushes right behind me, which I don't know if you guys have salalberry bushes up there. They grow only typically along the coastline but these are edible so i suppose i could take a quick break and eat some of these <laughs> what what are they called salal salal s-a-l-a-l salal berries and they grow right along the coastline i think maybe from like northern california up to canada 
Um, and you know, I moved here about three and a half years ago from the Portland area. I live here in Oregon and, um, I had never heard of these things. I mean, they are everywhere here. So to the point you would think they're maybe like poisonous cause they're so invasive. Uh, but they're not, and we don't have them anywhere else in Oregon other than right along the coastline. It says they're, they're delicious. Do they taste like something similar? Yeah, so they too are like a blueberry. They okay. look similar to a blueberry, but they're like a very earthy blueberry. They're hmm. not too sweet. Yeah. This sounds great. They're great. It yeah. says uh, slaw berries are highly prized amongst the coast Salash, Salish people. Probably, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's the native awesome. tribes out here, they, yeah. They, yeah. There's, it said that uh, the tribes out here back in the day were some of the most artistic tribes because we have so much food here. I always say you can't go hungry here unless you try to go hungry because there is so much food all year long that they didn't have to focus all of their time and energy on foraging and throwing up for the winter. So they could focus on other things like art because we have so much edible food here. That's awesome. Edible food. All food is edible, but you know what I mean. So you said you came from Portland. So what can you tell yeah. us a little bit more about yourself? Sort of are you native to Oregon or moved there or what's what's your background? I am. I am a born and raised Oregonian. And uh, my husband and I lived in the Portland area our whole entire lives. We actually went to high school together although we were not high school sweethearts, but um, so we went to high school together and we, it's actually a very strange uh, turn of events how we even got out here to the coast in the first place. So one of our real jobs, I feel like we do a lot of unconventional things, is we renovate vintage trailers and tiny houses for hotels and Airbnbs. And um, yeah, one of our first hotels that we did was out here on the Oregon coast. We did a tiny house village called Tiny Tranquility. And we were coming back and forth all the time to this charming town called Waldport that we had never heard of in our entire life because it's a very small town, even though we are born and raised Oregonians. Um, And we fell in love with it out here. So we sold our house in the valley and we moved out here to the coast, and it absolutely has been the best decision we've ever made. No, that's awesome. Yeah. We I'm love just it out looking, here. Just looking in reference. So I've been to Oregon once. I spent uh, did some bear hunting out by southwest of Eugene. Um, okay. But that's so about, that's Yeah. That's kind of near us. We're sort of near Eugene, but we're, I suppose, northwest of yep. Eugene. Yeah, I think we were I'm trying to look and see on my map here where where we stopped in cuz I had some delicious Hawaiian food at a restaurant. I don't think in North Bend, somewhere close. Definitely one of those like picturesque Oregon coastal towns that I was like this is like something out of a movie. You know Florence, there's a place in Florence which is actually just like 30 minutes from my house. Uh, that has a place that I have not been, so I cannot verify this, but I've heard it's got fantastic Hawaiian food, so maybe that's where you went. No, is it called the Pono Hukalaiu? I'm butchering it. I name. don't know. I've never been there, but that's that's <laughs> no, it. I'm... I recognize it now. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It's in Florence. It's on is like it in Florence? it's on like the south side of Florence, like yeah. r- right by the river. 
Yep. I've driven by it a hundred times. Yeah. Now I need to stop. It's okay. good. I enjoyed it. Well, I was I also had been in the Bear Woods for like four days, so a hot meal Everything is always is good. good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, everything's good when you leave the bear woods, that's for sure. So um, so how did you get into – so fishing and foraging, do you hunt or just fish and forage? Yes. Well, I say yes. I ha- I go hunting, but sure. my husband is actually the hunter. Okay. And I am the camp cook and the mom and the everything else. But um, so my husband is a hunter. I have archery hunted one time. It's, you know, I don't. he loves it and I love – cooking it so i feel like we're gonna keep our roles just that that's fair um but i do love doing everything else like i love foraging i love fishing uh clamming crabbing all that just i don't know big game is i don't know i here's let's be honest here i, I snapped my arm one time with the bow right uh. and yeah and i had this massive bruise and i was like you know i don't this isn't my thing yeah <laughs> so I leave it to the professionals. I hear I did that. I, I moved out to Colorado. And I was like, all right, Mister Archery Honey, it's be a big deal. Like I'm traditionally yeah. a rifle hunter, and I go to get a compound bow, and I go out like to one of the local ranges at like the reservoir, and I get out there, and like the first one, boom, I let it rip, and I like it scraped, oh. and my arm swelled up. I was just like, I was like, this is terrible. I like pulled my sleeve down, packed up my arrows, like got in a car, and, like drove away, so embarrassed, and I was just like. This sucks. And so what I found that, out is in buying a new bow, you have to get it tuned. And I didn't know that. So. Oh. Yeah. yeah. Well, I don't think I had that excuse. Mine was tuned and it was just all user error. And then I, it was just in the back of my mind. Every time I shot it after that, like, you're going to hit your arm again. And so, I don't know. Digging for clams is a lot less aggressive. No, I think so. Yeah. I've got this big, like, sleeve thing I wear now. And people laugh at me. They're like, you don't have to wear that. I was like, but I you're right i don't have to but i choose to because it's better than accidentally snapping my arm again so whatever i'm sure the archery the hardcore archery hunters out there are snickering right now but i don't care they're gonna be very disappointed in us aren't they yeah i don't care (laughs) so um no that's awesome so how did you get into the fishing and foraging well, it sort of just happened when uh, we came out here to the coast. So I've always cooked game mm-hmm. that my husband got during archery season. So we've always had like deer, elk, bear, whatever in the freezer. So I've always been pretty comfortable with that. Um, but it wasn't until we moved out here to the coast that, like I said, I mean, there's so much life here. Um, we used to plan entire trips to the coast around the tides around the clam tides and then we moved here and we're like we can go clamming before school before work on our lunch break or, or anything because we just live right across the street from the ocean oh, and nice. um oh i know and we're back here in the woods so waldport is our town slogan is where the forest meets the sea and it really is because we live in the woods and directly across the street that direction um is the ocean it's so incredible don't tell anybody how incredible Walford is. I suppose it's too late. Look, it's really but, bad. Don't move here. Yeah. Never mind. It's terrible. It's terrible. Don't come here. Um, no, Walford is so incredible. Um, and so we just, I don't know. I mean, we were just clamming and, and we were, we didn't think we were boat people. We never, my husband and I had literally never had a conversation like we should buy a boat. We get here and we bought a boat because I don't know if you can live at the coast and not have a boat. So we bought a boat and we're crabbing and clamming and fishing and we got salmon poles and 
I don't know. I just think it's life out here. I, I do occasionally meet people who have lived here either a long time or their entire lives. And they've never even like harvested mussels or anything. <laughs> like, what do you do? <laughs> it's, it's the best part of living here for sure. Yeah. Wow. What's a, uh, no, that's awesome. I couldn't imagine living in a place like that and not like being totally into the food. I know. I know. It's, it baffles me, especially because the food here is as good as it gets. I mean, we've got gooseneck barnacles and, like I said, salalberries and salmon and Dungeness crab and all different kinds of clams just at your disposal almost all year round. So do you think that if you lived somewhere else, you would be you would forage as much like if you were like, all of a sudden we're going to move to Tennessee? Would you get super into like the foraging and wild food and stuff there as well, you think? Yeah, I think I would. So I, w I obviously wasn't like this before we moved out here. I mean, during berry season, we would always go berry picking and mm -hmm. stuff like that. But aside from that, we didn't really do anything. Um, however, after living here now, I'm just not sure I could ever live in a place that didn't have some sort of foraging ability. I mean, I don't know. I just think that I would feel like I was missing something that I love so much. So it would be hard to move away from this or at least someplace that offers sure. something similar to this. How do you think? So, um, how did the cooking come into play? Sort of like cooking, not just like cook to eat, but like your, your writing and your recipe development. Like how, how did all that come to be? I've always loved cooking and I will mm. let you in on a little secret. When my husband and I first got married, he gained 75 pounds because of my cooking. So it's not saying that I cooked terribly. He just didn't ever know what like really great food tastes like. That sounds like I'm bragging, but you know what I mean? I mean, <laughs> I just really enjoy cooking. And so he just was like eating like all this food that he had never experienced before in his entire life. And he, I mean, he'd eaten things that he had never even heard of before, like artichokes. He had never even had an artichoke his entire life until we got married. Um, he has since, lost all 75 pounds so i will say that um but so i've always really loved to cook uh but i think cooking seafood can be really intimidating for a lot of people it was certainly intimidating for me because coming from the valley we didn't have it totally available i mean we're you know a few hours from the coast but just far enough away that it wasn't super accessible um so it really wasn't until i moved out here and just started cooking it on a regular basis um, that, I don't know, cooking became like a big part of what I do and how I showcase life here on the coast. Um, but as far as writing goes, that was kind of an interesting story. So I had my Instagram page, uh, The Kitchen Wild, and I was sort of just like posting what we were eating and our new life here on the coast. And the publisher for our local newspaper, The News Times, uh, he's also the publisher for Oregon Coast Waves magazine, uh, reached out to me and asked if I wanted to be a writer for the newspaper. And I had never written anything I like birthday cards no that was it like mm -hmm. i've never written anything ever so i told him i said i have no business writing and mm -hmm. he's like oh you're gonna do fine and uh i don't know and that's the, that's the whole story 
that's it that's just how it started and uh and i love it and i i still pinch myself every day that that happened because that led me to everything i get to do now it led me to you guys yeah um it's awesome i can't imagine not doing it it's like uh it's one of those things like once you start and if you really enjoy it it's hard to like just stop yeah it'd be like asking me to move away from here i don't want to yeah I just, I just hypothetically did that, so I apologize. Yeah, I know, Jesse. You make me nervous thinking about that. No, um, no, I have thought of that though. I mean, because you always think like, oh, if you were to go anywhere else, where would you want to go? And it's just like I don't. I know a lot of people that live here. Not a lot of people. I feel like I'm really generalizing it, but I have seen a few people who live here move to Hawaii because it's like what we have here, but warm. Because mm-hmm. it is not warm here. It's like. On a nice summer day, it's like 64, maybe. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that would maybe be the only exceptional substitute for the Oregon coast. Maybe some tropical fruit and fish. Adam, like. Adam, that's 17 degrees Celsius for you, buddy. Oh, yeah. You're, ca- you're a Canadian. I saw you yeah. clicking away there. I knew that was what you were going to do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying. I'm trying to learn. I'm trying to learn to be yeah. a better uh, to be a better um, companion in in our wild food talks because temperature oh, inevitably good. comes up in weather always. So I like we did this last episode. I, I had to look up the, Celsius, uh, the Celsius. I just feel like it's a good thing because I've got friends that live abroad as well, and you know they operate on Celsius, and I'm always like, uh, you know, it, they're like it's four degrees celsius outside i'm like that sounds really cold and they're like actually you know it's like i have a light sweater on i'm like okay 64 degrees celsius also sounds terrible so yeah (laughs) like the sun um no that's awesome no i'm uh i'm digging it i i liked oregon when i was out there i liked it a lot i wish i could have spent more time like just exploring i mean we did we were in the mountains with a purpose but uh I always like to just go places and just like dig in and see like what what is there and what to do and I think like with the crabbing and the the clamming and the shellfish and the seafood and the foraging and the mushrooms and all that stuff which we're going to dive into here in just a minute but that interests me so so much. Um Did you get a bear while you were here? I did not, but I helped uh my friend get a bear and I almost died packing it out, but um yeah, it was uh, quite the adventure. Uh, this is back, geez, two years ago now. We were out oh, there. Not that long ago. No, not not super long ago. Never been. I'd like to go myself. I'm super jealous seeing all the all the stuff you're pulling out of the water there. I'm just drooling over it every time. So I'd love to come out and. Uh... Yeah, you guys should make a trip out here. We'll go foraging mm-hmm. together. Yeah, fishing or clamming or whatever. All of it. Let's do it all. Um, Let's do it all of that's it. That's a great. You can do most of it right in the same spot. It's perfect. So. <laughs> we don't have to walk far. Um, so I guess what what's the most common thing that people, uh, if we're talking about like coastal foraging, so that could be like, I would say like we'll go surf to um, surf to tree line if that's a good surf to tree line so what's a what's a thing people forage for gather in in that sort of zone okay so surf wise um we are the central oregon coast is the dungeness crab capital of the world technically it's newport which is the next uh town up 
But yeah, the Dungeness Crab capital of the world. So we're very big on Dungeness Crab here. And there's a couple different ways, or a few different ways you get them. You know, the, the commercial guys get them out in the ocean. Um, like I said, we have a little boat. So we take our boat out into the bay with crab traps. But also while we're digging for clams, um, you can also dig for Dungeness crabs. So you look for sort of like a frisbee saucer shape in the sand. And usually if you dig that up, it's a Dungeness crab. Oh, cool. So, and a lot of people don't know that. You can just uh, rake for them while you're out there raking for those cockle clams. So they just uh, dig down in the sand. Yeah, they just bury themselves in the sand there. So that's always really cool. It's fun to... Get some Dungeness and some cockles yeah. all at one time. Uh, and clams are huge here. So we, like I said, I live in Waldport. So we have the bay here, which is where you would dig for the clams. We primarily have cockle clams here. Uh, a little bit farther north, they have razors, which are fantastic. Um, we actually just dug for razors this last week. Ooh. And we did a whole ocean to picnic. We dug for our razor clams, my husband, my three children, and myself, and we took them back to the hotel, and because uh, we we dug them a little bit north of here in Oregon and Seaside, and then we cooked them up into uh, razor clam po'boy sandwiches, what? and then we took them to go as a beach picnic and ate them in the same spot that we dug them that morning. It was awesome. Oh, that's super cool. Um I know. It was such a cool experience. These kids, I tell you, this is like their normal life. They just think this is normal and everybody acts like this. But <laughs> my husband and I tell them all the time, you don't know how, how lucky yeah. you are that this is your child. I tell, I tell mine the same because um, they like, same thing, like foraging, fishing, hunting. Like my son think it's, thinks it's a regular occurrence that every weekend we go fishing. Like, like everybody yeah. does it, right? Yeah. Does he just love he it? He does. He's just like constantly like, Dad, I want to go fishing. Dad, I want to go fishing. Where's my fishing hat? Where's my fishing pole? Like, he just has to have it, which is awesome. Uh, that is so cool. That's what we want for our kids, right? Yeah. Um, and then, let's see, from the ocean and the bay there, you know, we've got, like I said, the slawberries, which are seasonal, mm-hmm. like most berries. Um, and they are everywhere. Everywhere, everywhere. Um, so it doesn't matter if you're walking to the mailbox, to the ocean. They're literally everywhere. And then uh, blackberries are huge here. So we have a ton of blackberries. Um, and then, of course, the woods. So we've got a bunch of mushrooms, too. Well, so I, w- I want to... And, like, a million other Yeah, I, I want to stay, stay on the sort of the coast for a little bit. So... Is there a seasonality to like foraging kind of along the coast or just foraging in general? I know you mentioned it earlier, like there's always kind of something. Like what's the general things you might find in the seasons? Yeah. So, you know, most everything is happening right now. So this part of the year, uh, late spring, summer, early fall, you've got everything. You've got tides so the, with the clams, you're really at the mercy of the tides. Mm-hmm. You need a negative tide out here, um, which is a tide anything uh, less than zero. So you would need those to really get to the clams. Um, and winter tides out here on the coast can be very high. And we also have king tides, which are even higher. 
So you really do need to wait for minus tides. And we do have some in the winter, but they're usually like in the middle of the night, which to be honest with you, is actually really fun. You put your headlamp on, you take a lantern out there in the pitch black and you rake for crab or dig for clams. That in itself is kind of an adventure. Um, but yeah, this time of the year, you know, you've got your Dungeness crab, your clams. We also have a bunch of crawfish this time of the year because rivers are lower. So this would be crawfish season as well. Um, and we're, you know, like five minutes from that. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, there's, I think, you know, crab season starts usually in like December, uh, but those are the ocean guys. It's best crabbing here in the late fall, but you can usually get them anytime throughout the year. Oh. And there's no specific season. It's okay. not like it, it closes. That was my next here. question. Is there like, and what, what type, so is it just Dungeness or there other types of crabs as well that you would catch? Um, it's mainly just Dungeness. There's some, uh, invasive species like green crab. So if you do catch those, you, you have to keep them. They won't let you throw them back. Um, yeah, it's primarily just Dungeness. How big are those Which, coming in at usually? What was that? How big are they coming in when you find them? You know, uh, I think they have to be, I think the legal limit, don't quote me on this because I've got a crab gauge that I usually use, but I think it's like five and three quarter inches is legal size. Um, I could, maybe you could look that up while we're talking. Uh, Mm, (laughs) I don't want to tell anybody the wrong size, but you know, at any, any local, uh, store here, you can buy a crab gauge, which you would just measure your crab with that. But I do think inches wise, that's the legal size. Oh yeah, no, you got you nailed it. Five and three quarter inches, and then harvested commercially only when they reach a size of six and a quarter. So that's the carapace width. So that would be the width side to side, right? Side to side, exactly. Yeah. Um, So they're typically about that size out in the ocean. Like you mentioned, that they're a little bit bigger out there. Usually, when we pull pots out there in the ocean, when we're you know salmon fishing or halibut fishing, um, they're big. So compared to, to bay crab, they're quite a bit bigger. Oh, yeah, I see the gauge. Here's a picture with the gauge. So we have a similar. So in um, in Florida, where I lived prior to here, we did we harvested lobster and stone crab are the big thing, and blue crab, but they have a gauge for, um, for the lobster. They have to be measured from in between their eyes to the back of the carapace. Um, Oh, I didn't know yep. that. And it has to be, I don't know the inches. I don't remember. I just use gauge. I want to say, I think they just changed it, but it was somewhere around three. I don't know. Um, but yeah, so that had to be bigger than a certain amount. And then uh, the stone crab claws had to be a certain distance or certain length as well. Okay. And so those stone crab, so I've never been to Florida, mm-hmm. but those are the ones you just break off, yep. right? And then you throw the crab back and you keep their claws. Yep. So you can take both off. Um, I believe you can take both off. I only ever took one off cause I feel like it's a little weird to leave it completely defenseless. So, um, but yeah, they grow yeah. back every year. So that is wild. And they're talking about wild eating. and they're tasty too. And in Florida, there's a ton of other like, unregulated crab species that you can harvest that taste equally delicious um that you know as long as you're like you're not harvest them by like the butt loads you find them like one or two while out spearfishing like spider crabs and things like that and like perfectly edible 
I would love to try that. I've I've only had blue crab and Dungeness crab, and that of course those those green crab that we pull up occasionally. Um, yeah, I don't know, but I want to try all the crab. So good. I've never uh, green crabs. I'm guessing they're green. They are, they are green, and but when you cook them, they turn red. Yep, that's fair. So, um, and they, oh, European green crabs. Yes, ah. and they t- you know they taste like crab. They're that's fine. Fair. They're not they're not worth the effort really. I mean, they're so tiny. Their little legs are like tiny little tiny little legs. Oh yeah, so. they do look a little bitty. But they're good. Yeah, sounds like it could be a d- good for uh, crab stock. Ooh. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that would be a great idea. Look at you with all these great ideas. <laughs> um, what's so um any like plant life that you're foraging along the coast? So, I am not an expert forager. I mean, I really just started once we moved sure. down here. So, uh, you know, I sort of just stick with the things that I know for sure that are not going to kill me. Right. So, um, which is smart. Like if there's, if I'm getting advice to anybody out there where to start with foraging, just start with the things, you know, that, you know, are not going to kill you and then maybe move on from there. Um, actually didn't take my own advice. One time we have a ton of skunk cabbage out here and they're these massive, do you guys have those there? Adam, you're shaking your head. Some form of it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and so there are these huge, massive leaves, and I someone told me that you could eat them, and I didn't do any research. I just took his word for it. So I harvested some skunk cabbage leaves, which smell awful. They smell like skunk, so that should be an indication right there that you should not eat them. But I cooked them up and with some bacon, because that's what you do with leaves sometimes, that you don't know what to do with something, with some bacon and some onions. And actually, they were delicious. They tasted like a sweet spinach. But like two bites in, I realized that I had done something not smart at all by not doing any research. And my esophagus, all the way down to my stomach, was burning Mm -hmm. so bad. So then I researched it, and they are toxic. So, um, yeah, so don't eat skunk cabbage. Do your research. But, you know, start with things that you know, like... um, We've got a ton of dandelion greens out here. So I pick a lot of those. I love dandelion greens. I love dandelion flowers, roots, all that. Um, I don't know. I guess, honestly, guys, that's probably about it. Um, A friend of mine just harvested a bunch of cow parsnips, which I had never harvested before. But I tried them, and they were delicious. So I'm excited to get some of those now that I know that you can eat those. But... Since I don't necessarily have like a degree in any of this or a background, sure. I just proceed with caution. No, that's fair. I think that's like a very important piece of advice of like, don't eat things you're not comfortable with. <laughs> yeah, things. Some yeah. things are gonna get you, so you have to be really careful. I think the the more you learn and the more you do, because you start you start off very slowly and you add maybe one or two a year tops. Yeah. It starts to grow exponentially. I think you work on your observation skills and you start to train your eye to pick out certain things and it the the processing the knowledge you're you're learning online or from others becomes easier. And for myself anyways, I found where I started off really slow, every year now it's exponential. I'm adding like ten or twenty new plants and mushrooms every year. 
where before I would never want to do more than one or two because that'd be a little too much. Uh, so yeah. I think you just, the more you do it, the faster it will become eventually, uh, which is a cool thing about foraging. Yeah, and that sounds fair. That sounds very accurate as far as my timeline is, timeline is concerned. Um, because when I first moved out here, it was like, well, you know, I'm just going to stick with the, only the things I know. And then, of course, there is so much. Uh, especially with mushrooms mm -hmm. that you're like, gosh, I really need to, I know these because they're, you know, they're pretty obvious, but you really want to branch out because you see, you see them. And so you want to know which ones you can, and which ones you cannot harvest. And that goes for plants and, and all kinds of different wildlife. I think with me for like what gets me specifically like mushrooms is being like, where do I go? And like, you know, I live in like a, I live yeah. in Denver, kind of an urban area, so you have to find some places. Then it's like, well, can I legally take them from here? Like, how much can I? Do I need a permit? Like, all these things. It just turns into, like, this bigger thing of, like, I'm like, I could do that or I could just go fishing. Like, <laughs> Yeah. I mean, there are a lot of, I say, strange laws. I'm sure they're there for a reason. I don't know. But, like, seaweed, for example. We have so much seaweed out here, right? Mm -hmm. We live at the beach. But there is a very short seaweed harvesting huh. season. Mm. So it goes from like March to June and maybe May to June. I need to Google that. But um but like June fifteenth, we just we just reached the cutoff. And so if you harvest seaweed outside of that, you know, you could get in trouble, you get a fine. Um I did just talk to a state police officer at fishing game officer and they they actually didn't know about it so hmm. you may or may not get a fine but but you might yeah and so it is really important to be aware of the seasons um and here with seafood there are a lot of marine reserves so you can't take yeah. anything from a marine reserve not even seaweed so you have to be really aware of where you're at and what season you're in and yeah because there is a lot of legal limits to a lot of different things that you wouldn't think like seaweed. Which I think that's important when people are thinking about like starting foraging or getting into it is like know what you can and can't do, where you can and can't do it, and like when you can and can't do it. Yeah, that's the tough part because you don't want to discourage anyone like this is too much. This is a lot of information. I don't know where to start. I don't know where to go. I don't want to get in trouble. Um, I'd say one point of advice for, for, uh, people who are hunting, who want to forage is that hunters often get permission to hunt on farm properties and farm properties are wonderful places to forage. Um, number one, cause there's most of what you want to forage happens to grow in fringe areas or disturbed soil. So there's both of those in abundance on farms and also a lot of farmland, has a lot of history behind us. There was old farmhouses, old blocks of different fields. So you end up getting these really old plants that have become feral that grow kind of on the borderlines of the, of the farm. So you look you're likely to run into like a lot of wild asparagus or old wild onions or different things like that. So if you're getting permissions to go onto farms to hunt, uh, you might as well ask if they mind if you forage while you're there too. And most of them wouldn't care at all. So that's a great, that's thing awesome to, advice. I've never thought about that because you can get like varmint tags out here for, you know, elk or deer that wander on the farmland. Um, of course, with permission with the farm owner. But I've never thought about foraging on farms. Mm -hmm. One thing you just got to be careful is if they spray their crops. Yeah. 
yeah yeah so maybe looking at that a bit but deeper in the woods it's probably not too much of a problem so i think too like uh here in colorado one of the places it's very common to find wild asparagus is long fence lines so like yeah you, you, a lot of people, some people will just drive up and down the dirt roads and, and the rural parts and look for asparagus during the season. Yeah, same here. Asparagus awesome. and wild berries and uh, uh, wild grapes and grape leaves, a lot of different things just growing all on the side of the road and fence lines and mm-hmm. everything. Um, I do want to talk about two of your recipes that you have up on the Harvest and Nature website. Uh, one is the beer battered fried mussels with garlic aioli. Um, so I have it handy here. That's a good one. But, um, if I don't say so, <laughs> <laughs> like this one is delicious. Um, no, it looks great. And this is great. a hit. Yeah. Um, I don't think I've ever had like fried mussels though, like beer battered or any sorts. I don't think. Yeah, it's a bit of an unconventional way to eat mussels, for sure. But um, when you eat mussels all the time, especially as like a food writer here on the coast, sometimes I have to get a little bit more creative than I would otherwise. This is like I've done mussels in wine, mm-hmm. I've done mussels in beer, I've done mussels in butter. It's like, well, now we're going to fry. Sure. So, um yeah, and it turns out they're really, really good fried. I mean, most things are good fried, though, so I can't take all the credit for that. But, yeah, those crispy so crispy on the outside, and the mussels are just creamy and tender on the inside, and then dipped in that garlic aioli. I, I loved those things. We are we have some minus tide starting in two days. I think I'm going to go get some so I can make those again. Those are so so where, where do you find mussels at? So, uh, mussels grow on rocks Mm -hmm. and this, you know, this whole stretch of the central Oregon coast from one mile to the next, the beaches are completely different. Like my beach right here across the street from my house is a beautiful sandy beach. Um, and just like a couple miles up the road, it's these huge, massive ancient rock formations. And that is where I would find those mussels and they grow right there with the gooseneck barnacles as well. Um, which are one of the world's most expensive foods. Perfect segue because the next one, the next recipe I had was the small batch garlic beer broth for gooseneck barnacles. How about that? I didn't even plan that. That was just, yeah, yeah. Uh, Those two are very, very, very good. Um, I'm a sucker for a beer broth, though. I love mussels and beer broth too, but those gooseneck barnacles are incredible when i first moved here i saw somebody post those online and i was like these are the weirdest things what are those and so he told me about them and i went out and got some and uh i mean they're unbelievable they're like a sweet tender clam Mm -hmm. um they are you know oddly shaped they are kind of worm like so maybe chop them down a little bit so, so do you, look like a worm but so i'm just looking at them here the picture and the recipe and so like i think of barnacles like we have more in like the southern part of the united states which is very like in the shell uh like a rock like a rock kinda. yeah very sharp and yeah. ouchy and uh will 
scrape your boat really bad. But these are sort of like, I can't tell sort of how the base is, but like protruding from, and then they have what would be like the top of the barnacle, like at the very end. Um, yeah. So they're a gooseneck barnacle. So they've got, I don't, I should pull it up like the anatomy of it, but um, the very end of it, sort of like the beak of it is uh, the filter part. So they open their beak and they have a whole bunch of filter feeders that pop out and they, you know, get the plankton and stuff that are in the ocean. So that part you would discard because it's very sandy Mm -hmm. and not really edible. And it's the actual like stock of the the barnacle itself that is the meat that you would eat oh man if you want to go down a rabbit hole gooseneck barnacle anatomy there's a lot of words for the parts of a gooseneck barnacle the more you know yeah right right yep no they're fascinating though because they look so strange and especially if you can uh see them with their filter feeders pop out Mm -hmm. they are absolutely alien-like you would never in a million years think you could eat them and they are one of the most expensive and prized seafood in the world i think so if you could describe the flavor what would you describe the flavor as probably like a sweet clam so they have like a clam texture although more tender than a clam because if clams are not done right they can get Mm -hmm. a little tough but yeah so like a like a clam-ish texture, but but sweet and briny, and uh, I don't know. You're gonna have to try them for yourself because they're really they're really unique. And uh, I don't know. I mean, my daughter she's she is seven now, but you know she was gosh much much littler when we first moved mm-hmm. here. And they're one of her favorite foods. They've always been one of her favorite Ooh, foods since awesome. we moved here. So even kids love them. No, that's that's a, that's a testament. That's good. Um, yeah, exactly. It's, and I am a mom, so I do want to disclose: you cook all the alcohol out of that beer before you serve it to children. Don't serve children beer ever. <laughs> no, that's very <fair>, big. <laughs> um, yeah, no. Er, early bedtime, kids. <laughs> but early, yeah. <laughs> No, no, but yeah, because I, I do a lot with beer broth. I love cooking beer broth, but as a mom, I make sure that that alcohol is definitely all oh, cooked no. out. Oh, no, 100%, 100%. So, um, if you don't, or if you aren't serving it to children, though, it could be a fun, <laughs> an extra fun dish about <laughs> cooking out all that alcohol. Um, what else uh, was I going to say? So, no, that sounds great. The garlic beer broth. And it's like, it looks you, all your recipes look really great. I love that. And they also sound really great. Thank and you. I'm sure they taste amazing. Just looking at the ingredients Thank list you. and the preparation method. So um, it's really awesome. And you're using Rogue Beer, which is like, that's local to up there, right? Right here, right up the road. Yeah, exactly. Rogue Brewery is huge here. I mean, most people know it. I think all over the world, mm-hmm. it's it's worldwide, but... It is made right here. So I think I saw some in Croatia uh, two weeks ago to tell you the truth. Oh, you did? <laughs> yeah. That's cool. Because yeah, it is all over the world. So I have a, one sort of, would you have, what, what would be a tip if you had it for anybody, or not saying that you don't have it, but what, what would be a tip uh, for someone who wants to get into crabbing or clamming or 
harvesting barnacles, barnacling, I guess. Yeah, barnacling. We make that up. I like that, though. Yeah. (laughs) Like snorkeling, but it's barnacling. Um, You know, I think um, just asking around. So, like, for example, when we were up in Seaside a few days back uh, harvesting razor clams, we were in a spot we had never, never clammed for razors before. But we saw people out there doing it. Mm -hmm. So we knew they were there because these people certainly looked like they knew what they were doing. But so we asked them. And and that, that goes for even when we're down along our bay and we're clamming. People come up to us all the time like, what are you doing? You know, and and I think most of us who are foragers, we love to share our knowledge. So if someone asks me whether it's online or in person, if you see me along the bay, Um, I am more than happy to tell you anything you need to know on how to get started with what it is I'm doing. So um, let's say you're listening to a podcast or, um, you know, following Harvesting Nature or any of our personal Instagrams, reach out to us, ask us questions. Because I, I, you know, I can't speak for you guys, but I would assume you're the same. Like, we're just happy Mm -hmm. to point people in the right direction. I know a lot of times people out here, on the coast, they don't know how to get started, uh, whether it's like clamming or crabbing. So I'll uh, point them to rental shops that rent the clam guns, clam rakes, uh, crab pots, and those rental shops will, you know, hook them up with every single thing that they would need for their adventure. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. I think we're just all willing to share our knowledge because it's really important for me, at least, that people understand where real food comes from. Sure. No, that's awesome. So is it like is it like a tourist thing for people to come visit and go clamming or crabbing while they're there? Oh, heck yeah. You know, everyone wants seafood when they come to sure. the beach, whether it's at the restaurant or doing it themselves. And there's so many places here that rent all the gear. All you do is show up and they'll give you everything you need they even sell the licenses there in these shops um and they'll and they'll tell you exactly where to go too so yeah there's tons of places here up and down the whole entire oregon coast oh that's awesome offer yeah it is it's really cool what are you doing next week justin (laughs) right (laughs) yeah come to the meet guys (laughs) um yep i'll personally guide you where to go too we have to take you up on that. Um, well, so what is a good uh, what's a good way for people to get in touch with you if they do have questions? You mentioned Instagram. Is that a good uh, medium for people to reach out? That's probably the best place to get hold of me at the Kitchen Wild on Instagram. Um, yeah, I'm occasionally on Facebook, but you know, not not much. So if you're trying to reach out to me for any reason, I'm really good at responding to messages on Instagram. Um, and I'm happy to answer any of them. I get all kinds of different questions, whether it is mushroom foraging or fishing, seafood, anything like that. And I'm, I'm happy to help. Sweet. Awesome. And yeah, um, same, I, I'll say that to you. Like I'll, I'll echo what you said. Like all of us are happy anytime. Somebody messaged me while we're on this, uh, this podcast. One of my friends from work a, uh, a while back and was like, Hey, I got the question about rabbit. And so uh, excited. Oh, I love them. I love I love answering questions. So people reach out. Uh, usually you reach out Harvesting Nature, you reach out Adventures for Food or Intrepid Eater. Like 
reach out to Katie. Uh, it, it doesn't matter. Like I think we all all are equally engaged and want to be. That's why we're doing this. Um, that because we exactly. That's why we're yeah. And we love delicious food. Yeah, that's why we're all doing. <laughs> um. Well, I think uh, unfortunately, like this time has gone by so quick. I just looked at the the timer here, and I was like, "Holy smokes, we we've almost hit our like hour mark." So, um, thanks for thanks for coming on and thanks for chatting. But um, really, so what we kind of do at the last few minutes of this is kind of do sort of around the room. Any last minute thoughts, alibis anything you want to leave the audience with or any questions you have for us, like anything's fair game. So since you're the guest, I will, I will turn it over to you for anything you have. Oh my gosh. I don't even know how this works and you're, you're making me go first. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, for me, I just really think it's important that people know where their food comes from. So I think when we have a connection with our food, yeah, we have a connection with a lot of other things too. So uh, if you don't know where to start, there's a lot of great books out there. People like us, you can reach out to us. We're happy to answer your questions. Uh, like you said, I feel like we wouldn't be uh, doing what we do if we didn't want to share this information in the first mm-hmm. place. So yeah, reach out to us. And if I don't know the answer to a question, which I often don't, I can certainly help point you in the direction of someone who does. Sweet. Adam, uh, last thoughts, buddy? I just want to thank Katie for coming on, and uh, I think I'm going to be dreaming about Barnacle tonight. Mm-hmm. Barnacle, yes. <laughs> Barnacle, thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah. And seriously, come visit. Yeah, no, I think I, I, I think I see it in the future, uh, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it sounds exciting. I've always wanted to come up and do it. Like I've been pretty fortunate to forage and fish and crab and crab, crab and clam and barnacle on many coasts but uh not the pacific northwest so uh, i think it'd be great to come up and visit but um no i think overall like thanks thanks for coming on katie i really appreciate it 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 was good to have this conversation it's been a topic that's been on my mind for a while and i think you're like the absolute perfect person to have the chat with and you know thanks for all the recipes and great things and inspiration that you're putting out there and um I hope that everyone enjoyed the show today. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, I'll include all these links to the recipes, uh, to all of the things we talked about that do have links in the show notes. So check those out. And then uh, make sure you head on to social media and make sure you give us all a follow if you're not. Uh, you're missing out on some great things if you're not. Um, and then whatever podcast platform you're listening to, please punch that five-star button. Leave us a review. Tell us what we're doing wrong or, you know, tell us we're doing right. And thanks, everybody. Have a good night.